there's a lot of talk before lockdown who even spoke about ESG like no one right and now everyone wants to be green and everyone wants to be more diverse and inclusive and this is like a whole new thing that everyone's talking about right but at the moment there's nothing to say like you know we had IMO 2020 you have to reduce your sulfur uh, now carbon emissions are coming into the shipping industry, right? So 2025, you know, th- these are things that, you know, you're not just doing voluntary, you, you're having to actually execute and do your carbon. Zoe Epson is the founder and director of FACT, a talent solutions company that matches the most capable maritime and commodity professionals to firms that seek dynamic and exceptional talents. In this episode, we cover how Zoe ended up in the broker and shipping industry, her lessons learned from excelling in a high-performing broker environment, the future she sees for the shipping and maritime industry, and how the industry can attract more talents and broaden its diversity. Let's head over to our sponsors. Quarter is the new way of doing company research. Their first mission is to enable access to conference calls, investor presentations, transcripts, and earnings reports as frictionless as possible, straight to your pocket. Their second mission is to create a completely new way for companies to reach their investors and vice versa. The app is available for both iOS and Android, and stay tuned for additional features in the future. Quarter is 100% free, They include companies from 15 markets today and plan to add more. They prioritize requested companies which you can easily do in the app. They have a lot more in store for the back half of the year. So make sure to follow them on Twitter at Quarter App. So check out Quarter spelled Q-U-A-R-T-R. And you can find the links in the description. All opinions expressed by Christopher Warname or his guests on this podcast are only their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Warname. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Christopher Warname as a specific reason to invest or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. This episode is produced by William Fransen. Do you mind just taking us all the way back, telling a bit about your upbringing and what influenced you growing up? Did you have any specific hobbies or interests at an early age? So growing up, I was the youngest of four. Um, Both parents were fairly entrepreneurial and my mom ran a coach business. So she had a lot of male staff working for her. So I think right from the beginning, I had a role model that showed me I could work in a male-dominated space without realizing it, right? You're just, this is what you're seeing. Um, And I think I was youngest of four, gave me quite a lot of confidence with people, I would say. So seeing my mom in sort of a very um, senior position, running a company, male-dominated space, youngest of four. I've got two older brothers, so I was a bit of a tomboy. Um, So quite a robust personality, if you want to call it that. And other than that, just a really normal childhood. I liked performing arts, drama, sports. Um, and yeah, and that was it, basically. What was the mindset that going into university? Do you have a specific goal or a dream? Or was it a bit about serendipitous and you just like grabbed onto the subject you found an interest to? It's a little bit interesting, that one. So I always knew that I wanted to work in a corporate environment. I always had quite a... I don't want to say it's a naive appeal because I don't like to sort of have a materialistic mindset now. I was very eager to earn a lot of money. So I always knew that I was going to have a job where I'd be making money. So I looked at things like law or business and I was quite aggressive on sort of being in a role I can make a lot of money. So I actually had a careers conversation at my school and the guy said, well, if you're going to go into business... Why don't you do something different that makes you stand out? And you're doing really well in your philosophy. So why don't you do philosophy? And it may give you edge in your interviews. And I actually just went for it because I love philosophy. And I thought, I think outside the box. Um, And also the hours in lectures were quite low. It was about four hours a week. So when I was at university, I didn't have that many hours. In the second year, I set up a club night. 
and I saw a gap, a gap in the market, basically. A club night shut down to do uh, renovation and they played quite alternative music. So it was like hip hop, drum and bass, a bit grunge, like anything alternative and pop music. So I <laughs> went down to a venue with a notepad and a bit of paper and, <laughs> and a pen. And literally I was like, oh, um, have you got a student night here? And the owner of the club was like, no, we don't have one. And I was like, look, I, I run club nights, never done this before in my life. I said, I'll tell you what, I'll do um, the promotional work, I'll do the flyers, I'll get the night staff for me in, do all the marketing, I'll get the DJs. You get the bar staff and the doorman, and you take the bar money and I'll take the door money. And he just said, yeah, go for it. So I think that's my first sort of like, I was like 19 at the time. So that was my real sort of like first, I suppose, entrepreneurial gig. <laughs> but it was really great for university. And I think that sort of got me going into sort of wanting to make more money and entrepreneurial sort of side of things. Um, but I never planned shipping. That was never on the agenda. I never even heard or thought about shipping you know, are so naive to the shipping industry, right? You don't realise that when you're young, where your fruit and veg comes from. You don't realise that half the stuff, or probably even 90% of the stuff in your house was once on a container. You're not even thinking about it, right? So I fell in shipping. Very interesting. Before we, we enter the shipping space, I'm just curious because at least when we're doing uh, business courses in Norway, it's mandatory to take a philosophy course and some people hate it because they want to have like a an, an, an mathematical answer and, you know, put two, two, two lines under the answer. While some people love it to talk about answers who or talk about questions that really don't have a definitive answer. So what do you think has been the most impactful thing for you to have gone through these philosophy courses? Because it makes you think a bit broader than most people who are very narrow in their minds, I guess. Yeah, I think for me, you know, when you are in an environment where your business is based on relationships, I think I could hold really interesting conversations um with people and actually get them sort of thinking outside the box than the box standard how are you what's the market doing or you know you see your friends it's just like hey how are you oh how was lockdown oh yeah the weather's bad your conversation's quite basic um whereas i think where i have this sort of philosophical mind education i'll be having really weird conversations with people but it's kind of intriguing and it allows you to sort of build relationships I think maybe quicker in a more in-depth space so I you know so many of things about like do you know I think it's really weird that dinosaurs used to walk the earth when I mean, they're like 30 feet that's the size of your house and then I'll be like wow you know it's I, I do think it gives you sort of um a layer of complexity and added value when it comes to sort of like thought and seeing things from a different pers perspective and adding intrigue and depth to conversation and life because there is you know I've even did a quick, a quick stick traveling with the in-depth conversations we'd have like on a beach about life and what it's all about and I think yeah I just think it makes you a bit more of an interesting person um and, and definitely like have a different perspective to others and just talking about daily life no, it makes sense. So, so what's the story about how shipping came into your life? Is it a specific person, a specific opportunity? How did it come up to you on your, on your horizon? Okay, so when I left university, I just wanted to go and make money. So I applied to jobs everywhere, anywhere. And the first job I ever got was actually in shipping recruitment, ironically. So I started working in shipping recruitment and a client was FIS, Freight Investor Services. And I placed a candidate, a guy called Arthur, into there. And he was fairly young. But he turned around to John B, obviously, you know, famous John B, John Banaskovich, and said, look, I think you should get this girl while she's young. She'll make a better broker than me. I think you should have an interview with her. So then the next thing I know, I've got John B ringing me up. And he says, oh, do you want to come down for an interview <laughs> so I just said okay fine I have no idea about shipping broking anything and I go there and I walk into the floor and you know the market then was just 
like quite alive and big shouty floor and I was really like sort of fascinated and then John Hamming and John B interviewed me and they said what do you know about shipping and I said well not much like this is a graduate position and I said okay all right okay you know you have to be thick-skinned for this environment I said don't worry I've got two older brothers <laughs> and this is genuinely how it went so then they said all right well what if one of the brokers is shouting at you and he tells you to off this is a, so we might have to edit that bit out but hey and I said well I'll tell you to fall back and they went brilliant how much money do you want and I literally said an amount they said okay fine shook my hands and that was it and they said literally start next week and they said you've got three weeks to get this or you can go so it was like an instant sort of high pressure but um it's definitely like the work ethic I got of the dry FFA team um when I first started is just like yeah it's a new it was a whole new world for me um but I had such a fantastic team and desk that really nurtured me but it was very like you learn this or you don't um and there was another girl starting at the time and they said oh we're going to put you in head to head to one another first one to do a deal stays the other one goes now that that wasn't actually the case it was just to sort of create a bit of like competition and then I got an idea to go around the, all the desks and ask for their dev accounts so I was like who have you traded with in a year six months who's dead in the water and they were like oh yeah you can have him because a lot of brokers don't like to give up their accounts so like, oh yeah have him whatever and this is me this young girl sort of ringing up saying about dinosaurs a 30 thick no I did but just hi Zoe and I gave them quite a lot of attention where I suppose they hadn't had it because they weren't maybe doing a lot of size on the derivatives or maybe like you know I was on FIS with the and still is on dry FFA the number one market you know the number one broker on that and their market share was substantial so I suppose maybe a lot of the smaller accounts maybe didn't feel they got the love and attention that they desired yeah, and I made an entire book out of dead accounts. And, and that was it, basically. That was the start. That's super interesting. I think given this environment you describe, what do you think, how does people normally react to this competitive environment? Because maybe some people love it and thrive from it, but but some people say it's not for, for me, right? So how do people, what's the, what's the different experiences you feel people are getting in these highly competitive environments? I think it just depends on personality fit because it is not for everyone. Um, and I think particularly be, being a girl, if I hadn't had two older brothers and a, and a mom maybe as a role model and like the thick skin, being the youngest of four, you're kind of a bit rough and tumbled. And, you know, it's, yeah, I think maybe I would have had a totally different perspective on it um and i think you've i think a lot of people who want to go into the market want to make money and they are a certain personality fit so it's not for everyone um but it's fantastic it's, it's a, that's a really hard question to answer because you know you're you're a certain character and person so you can't really like say but i would say i could imagine a lot of my friends just for the shouting alone um you know they probably would have uh, run a mile and you know you did get shouted at you know because you made a mistake and they were fair to shout right because you're a junior and you're learning and you get the spread wrong or you know you put up an offer and it's actually a bid and then your bid gets sold and then you're hung on a trade you know you're going to get told off but it's it's uh can be quite a, a an intense telling off at times but you know it, it's the way it is and it's a fantastic market and it's not for everyone but you know it is it is a great space and you know it's, it was sort of love at first sight for me what do you think the most typical mistakes new people do in that industry i think it's hard to say for like for everyone but i think it's obviously just understanding the market the language so i'd be shouting mine and they're like so are you mean yours and i'm like oh yeah yeah because yeah, that's actually like a big thing, right? You're, 
instead of like lifting enough or you're selling a bid and that's that can leave you in a tricky position if you get that wrong so you've got to learn the language you've got to understand the numbers um it can be incredibly quick and fast paced um and maybe some of i mean i think it's changing quite a lot now so when i started you didn't have to do these exams whereas now you do so I think you had quite a lot of people who had the right skill set and personality fit to make a great broker, but maybe not the understanding of how the market works. So I think historically, you probably had quite a few maybe errors where it's just someone who's a bit of a novice and making silly mistakes, whereas now they have to pass rules and regs. You have to do certain exams before you can be on the floor working in derivatives. So I think maybe that would alleviate um yeah some of the errors but i think that's probably just typically just learning a trade right anytime you learn a trade you're an apprentice and uh, sometimes you just have to learn the hard way and it's straight out on the floor and then you sort of get to the ropes of it and the language becomes second nature and the numbers become second nature and like you know I, it took me ages to work out how to do a spread like a long time <laughs> i just get shouted out quite a bit for that but then you get it and it becomes second nature and the language comes second nature and then it's okay but yeah i think that's i mean shipping is, is uh, famously known for you know being a 24 7 industry where always things are happening because shipping is a global industry and especially commodities as well so just for people who aren't necessarily in the shipping industry, can you just give them a, a glimpse on sort of the hours required and sort of the hours you sort of basically have to work because things are always happening all the time? Because maybe people who haven't been in the industry can't really fathom that you have to put in so many hours to be on top of things all the time. It's also, it's not just the hours, it's the pace of response. So I often joke in shipping, once a decision is made, they want it done yesterday. <laughs> but in terms of hours, I mean, now I can tell you a bit more in, in a moment about my work day now being a headhunter and recruiter, but as a broker, I mean, I was up early, early doors. Then I went into the office and, you know, I was always on the desk for 7.30. If you were late one minute past eight, you had to buy everyone breakfast. If you were late past nine, it was everyone lunch. So you quickly got very, very punctual um, and you were not late and, you know, and then you're sort of very glued to your desk and for physical shipbroking, that's different. They work in a slightly different way, but for derivatives, it's very screen based. So I would be at my desk all the time working till late. And then if you've got a client in town, you obviously need to see your clients Then see clients going out all evening that can end up being very, very late. Um, always being available on your mobile. I never, ever would have my mobile not on me. Not even go to the toilet. Like, I would not miss a deal. And like, originally it was like Yahoo Messenger we used to have with the Blackberry, you get the little red flicking light to get an indication that you've got a message on your Yahoo. Like, you would never miss that. I never took my eyes off it. Um, and now it's WhatsApp. So yeah, really 24 seven, you know, sometimes as well, you've got the, all the different markets. So Asia starts really early. So if you've got any clients in Asia, you're like up crack of dawn. If you're based there or not, your business is in Asia, you're up early. Then you've got European hours. And then obviously you go into the States, right? So sometimes you can be working three markets and you've got clients across the board, which sometimes you would do. Um, yeah, and it is, it's long hours, but I can't explain that. When you're having a good day on the desk as a broker, well, it doesn't really feel like work. It's kind of a high and a buzz and you're sort of enjoying yourself. The desk environment is often quite, you know, it's good banter, it's a good environment, it's a good vibe. Because you kind of feel like you're in a, in a kind of a fun space. So it doesn't feel like too, you know, like pressing on sitting here all day. And the markets aren't busy 24, so you need to be available 24 seven and you need to be alert and on your phone 24 seven, but the markets aren't always busy. So in those periods where it's quiet, you kind of just have a really good time in the office. Now, as I am not in a broken space, I need to be glued to my desk. I'm always on my phone 24 seven, because if my, it's just a habit that I have, 
And I think it actually goes really well for me and my business because I respond really quickly to my clients. So someone messages me sort of, um, so we, can, can we meet up next week? Uh, we're looking to hire three charters. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, when we in, yep. And then there's a diary in fine, very quick. And that's just like through habits, I suppose, and just expectations of the market. And sometimes when I work with my clients who, um, who they're in the shipping industry and let's say they want to establish an outfit in, I don't know, Geneva. And then we're dealing with people who may be setting up for incorporation or bank accounts. And that world doesn't work like our world. It's not so fast paced 24 seven. And the frustration for my clients, are, why isn't this done today? You know, that when you're working in other parts of the world and with, they're not used to sort of like working at the pace and the 24 seven level that we do, it is really sort of like a real big management thing um, and sort of like really being on the case for people. I've, I, this is the experience I had basically. And you had to be really on top of them, like, look, in this industry, you know, they do want things done quite promptly. We expect like to get feedback almost instantly, right? Because we're so used to like an instant messenger uh responding well so everything's so quick you know i constantly even i don't have it on right now because it'd be too distracting but i have my whatsapp on my desktop 24 7 um have my phone on me all the time and you know i don't check it when i'm asleep but the first thing i do in the morning if i have a client message me he's been in asia first thing to instantly reply so yeah it's still even though i don't work so much glued to a desk i still just am always available um, and I don't think that will ever change. Um, and, and like you say, like there's, there's mar- global markets. If I've got clients in Asia, I've got clients in the States, you know, I'm always there and available. So 24 seven, that is it for sure. It's a great summary. And I think, you know, it's a superpower to have having the ability to get things done fast. But I also think, you know, I think you also touched upon this in your LinkedIn post that there is a balance in terms of, you know, the, um, uh, the life balance, work-life balance, basically. So I'm just curious, how normal do you think that people entering the shipping industry, working super long hours, how typical is it that at some point, like the body says that, okay, fatigue and burnout can happen? Do you think that's a typical thing for people who, who are in these environments? Or do you think like most people who excel or think this is the most fun job they, they will have, so they will be able to absorb all those hours? I think for the younger ones, they have to be really realistic of earning their stripes and putting the hours in. I think when you get more established in the industry, let's say you have a really strong client book and you know a lot of your relationships, the business is exclusive with you, and you sort of are very much more set up and established. I think it allows you for some leverage for a work-life balance. You know what I mean? Like you, you're not, you know, when you've got that relationship and that business goes for you you can be like look i'm going to take my kid on the school run let's do the deal in the morning you're not stressing about your client going to another broker you know it's coming with you so i think when people are in this let's say especially at my experience broking i think as i get more senior they can allow for some more leverage in terms of work-life balance getting off to the gym for 45 minutes but as a junior i think you have to be really ready to earn your stripes um and to put the hours in and sort of enjoy weekends um, and really utilize those and holiday. But yeah, I think that comes, the work-life balance, I think comes with earning stripes and time. Um, and if you're good at what you do and you build the right relationships and you have a good enough business, I think you can allow for some work, a, a bit more flexibility and freedom Um and, and also you forget and finesse your game a lot, right? So you're a bit more like you could do stuff more on your phone and yeah. And I think ship broking allows a bit more flexibility with time off the desk as to derivatives, which is what I know more. But for the young ones coming in, it's like just get in and earn, roll your sleeves up and earn your stripes. I would definitely say that. Get on the phones, work, be the first one in, be the last one out, and just you know, sacrifice it a little bit while you can and while you do have the energy to do it. Like, I couldn't do what I did as a junior broker now. I would be, I don't even want to think what I would be like 
uh, you know, the long hours in London, going out a few times a week with clients. And then as well, your social life with friends is quite active as well. So you'll find you're out quite a lot. I would be burnt out if I had that now, but obviously as you get more senior, it, the need for that, you've built your relationship. You don't need to be like chasing everything all the time. That's a great way of putting it. Talking about your, your company you're running today, what was the circumstances that made you say, okay, now I've had these experiences, but I really think that I want to start my own company and focus on recruiting. Was it because again, you saw a gap that you thought you were the right one to fill it? It was a combination of reasons. I have a daughter, she's just turned six. And as I say, the hours are long and, and working markets, you know, where you're glued to a desk. Uh, for a number of hours I felt like I didn't see her as much as I should be and you know she was probably maybe you know she's she's three and a half four you know when when I was sort of thinking about this and I was like I'm not going to get these years back and I also felt that they're working in a broken environment can be quite intense you know and so you're working really long hours and once you're head of a broken desk, which I was, yes, you can earn more and more money, but entrepreneurially, you don't have the time to put into anything else because you're so busy on your day job and then you get home to your family life. So that was another thing. So I kind of got to a point and the initial thing was my daughter to just, I never, I had a nanny looking after her, never did, and I, you know, school years were coming up, I'm not be able to take her to school. These are years she's going to start remembering. So I just kind of thought, what am I good at, people? What have I got? A fantastic network of really solid relationships who I know will see me throughout life. Um, I, I'm good at doing business and, and building relationships and connections. And I know that I like to offer really good service. So this is kind of like an obvious one for me to go towards. Broking is it's broken in the in in the same sense, but your product's different. My product's now people, it's not tanker rate derivatives anymore. So you're doing the same thing and it's a slower pace. So you don't hire, you know, eight people a day and turn them over. It's a long, slow burn process. You know, we have a big search, we look for the people we want, within long list, short list. So it's um it's definitely you know, I do miss the frequent buzz of smashing deals every day, but it's it's the same thing. You're, you're broke if you're an estate agent or, um, you know, you're a middleman. It's the same job, right? It's just your product different. So, um, yeah, but I definitely feel this was a great step for me. And then it's also allowed me to have a voice where I didn't want to have a voice before in case I offended or upset or had an effect on my career and I mean we can talk about this more later on but then I got I had a women's group start off when I was broking you know just meeting up and this is now becoming quite a big thing um, and I've been allowed to put my time and energy into that also so I've been able to actually do quite a lot make a lot of changes for the industry and in particular women just that's what the focus has been so I've been able to, I know, I've recently set up a, another company, which I'm not actively running day to day. But again, I wouldn't have been able to do this if I was broken. So it's really freed up sort of my time. And, and I'm now allowed to express myself entrepreneurially and adding value to the industry in a different way. I think reading, uh, doing a bit research, I found a quote that you have said it, it meant a lot to you and you also tried to have it as a principle to your daughter is that you should, you know, feel the fear and do it anyway. And I think that also come back to several stories you told already that, you know, so many people have an idea, they have a dream of setting up either a group or a company, but you have the capacity to start it and do it. How important has it been to have that, you know, mindset to be that okay, let's start and see what's happened. I'm not only going to think about initiatives, I'm actually going to put it out there. Yeah, exactly. And I think what it is, is we limit ourselves so much by fear. Like, I literally feel like it's the biggest limiting factor to humans across everything. Relationships, work, life, um, any opportunities. And and what people have to understand is that when you face a fear, you realize actually 
it wasn't that bad. I can do it. And that sort of elevates your confidence, that elevates your self-belief. And and that's what fear is. It's just a lack of your self-belief. It's just the fact of what, what if it doesn't work out? What if I fail? Oh, I can't do that. I'm not good enough. And it's all about fear is just basically like something saying to you, I'm not good enough, right? And, and, and I can't achieve this. And I think we have to sort of just face our fears and do it anyway. And I say to my daughter for her to understand it, because if she feels nervous, she'll use the word nervous, which is shy. I say, do the thing that makes you feel nervous and the nerves go away. So I'm nervous about a new dance she goes and starts it was amazing and I say see there you go it's just it's something fear isn't real it's something we create right it's not doesn't exist there's no one there standing in front of you saying hey Christopher you can't do a podcast it's not the industry isn't going to love it that's something you might have put in your head before you actually decided to to go forward so yeah feel the fear and do it anyway I read that book I think when I was maybe 16 or 17 and it's just been a part of me all the time. I think, do you know what? You just have to go for things. And even if you try something and you fail and your fears were true, you know, you weren't a very good business owner, that's fine. You just go back to exactly what you had, right? So there's zero loss. It's like, you're not going to lose anything. Maybe here and there, a little bit of money or a bit of time, but nothing that's so detrimental that you can't just go back to what you did before, right? So things don't go well for me, you know. I'm confident, believe myself, I can go back and stroke it. We have to eliminate this fear factor because so many people could do such incredible things if they could just push past doing it and then they realise they do it, they want to do another thing and another thing and it will just sort of snowball into self-belief and just going for it, self-confidence. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think it's super well summarised. Looking at the recruitment space, I know you have many observations and thoughts about how the shipping industry ticks and works in, in terms of the recruiting cycles, etc. What would you say is sort of like the big opportunity shipping has? Because I think we, we talked a bit uh, offline that there is an enormous opportunity to grab more talent. That's probably the talent pool should be a lot bigger if people really understood all the opportunities that the industry has to offer. Yeah, exactly. I mean... There's something that I'm trying to do through women together to get more women in. Um, but there's so much stuff a shipping industry could be doing. And I've actually launched this week Beehive Media, which is a social media marketing company that will help the shipping industry, basically the online presence, the LinkedIn marketing, um, because I kind of feel like we're missing so much talent where we're a little bit old school in the way we do things, even still now. So, you know, it's it, we're not super advanced when it comes to being online and, you know, doing podcasts and, and our social presence. And we're kind of missing talent to other sectors, like the tech sector. Fantastic kids are coming through, right? And they're like, right, what am I going to do with my life? Well, no one's talking about shipping. I actually have got a lot of companies who are coming to me and they're really struggling to get decent graduates. And that's something I'm a bit like, why do you, like surely everyone, like a graduate role, like it's an open book, right? You, so many people can apply for this position. Why are you struggling? You know, like for me, that was quite a, a bit of a, an, an odd thing I was like why are they struggling why why are people coming to me for graduate roles like normally I have people who are wanting to set up a tanker desk in in Houston and it requires so much discretion and hard work and negotiating or they've got a really specific role or someone incredibly senior that's a hard to fill position or they want to do multiple hire which is you know it's quite tedious and time consuming so when it's coming to me for graduates, I'm like, what's going on? They're like, we're just struggling to get talent. And I think the world is changing. You're looking at the kids coming through now and they're on their phones 24 seven, that we're saying, but they're on their social media, right? And a lot of graduates will go on to LinkedIn, but I think we're not in schools like we should be. We're not in the universities like we should be. Whereas like the banks are, the banks have, uh, businesses who go there who have pilot systems offering um, trading simulation 
where they can get the stats and see who looks really promising and then get them on to do an internship. Shipping sort of, you know, being very reliant on, oh, uh, you know, my uncle's in shipping. And then, <laughs> and we can talk about this, you know, um, maybe if we want to talking about maybe diversity and stuff like that, but if we want to get different backgrounds and demographics into the sector as well, you've got to think where the insight's coming from. So if I'm in shipping and I'm talking to my friends, that's one thing, but the majority of shipping is white middle-aged men and their immediate circle might be their friends, nephews or their sons. So we're not spreading the message and the other industries are bit, like even like construction and pharmaceuticals, like they are out on their social media they're out on their LinkedIn. The companies look like amazing places to work for, like Google, like all these, you know, opportunities, core office environments, like great, you know, wonderful maternity packages. It's really appealing. And shipping, like, it's it's not moved forward. But you know what I mean? Um, and, and through Women Together, we're actually hoping next year to be going out to all the universities. So that will, and that's not just to get women, but that is just literally to go out to universities. And we're hoping to pull through so much talent through that group. And then also if companies want to sort of improve themselves with their online presence, that's something they need to be doing. And we can, I mean, I offer that through Beehive Media, but I don't run the day-to-day -day of that. That's just a company where, again, I've seen a gap where I think the shipping industry is slacking and moving not moving backwards, but just being stagnant where they are um, and, and not moving forward. And therefore, we're not being, we're not being available to this, you know, wonderful talent. It's still quite like referrals, recommendations. And the amazing thing is, if you get, if you're quite a smart, intelligent person and you get into shipping, you can sort of progress a lot further than you would if you went to sort of like the investment banking route or the hedge fund route. But people just aren't aware of it. And it's, it's weird because shipping's so important to the world and how we function, right? It's like one of the biggest industries. And you think we should be leading the way. We should be leading like the top talent. We should be leading and pushing forward with this. But we are miles behind. Given that you... you taking so much time looking at this diversity piece, how would you best summarize it? Because I mean, you recruit for companies, you see a lot of people it's switching careers in the shipping industry, et cetera. So how massive is the opportunity? And is it a case of that you just need to find the people and they would love shipping or do shipping need to change something, their policies, their culture to attract those people? Where on the equation is sort of the, the opportunity here? Both in a big way. If you want to talk firstly about maybe if a company wants to change so you know we can do a lot of drive to get people to come in right we can we can do that we can get more active on our social media we can get into universities we can use recruiters like myself i can give you an example of a company who's like i did their graduate scheme and they had really fantastic numbers like for women coming through there's all these things we can do to because a lot of people have this conversation that, oh, we want to be more strong and diverse. Let's let's make a change. It's like, okay, great. We want to hire. So then we've got to try and sell to everyone to come in, right? And then so, if it, okay, that's great. We can then hire the talent, but then we're going to look at the company space and there is a lot of changes that need to be made, I think, within company culture um, to be more inclusive, Um that is for sure. Um, that is something I think we could do an entire podcast on. <laughs> if you said to me, what are the changes to be made in the industry to be more sort of inclusive and diverse? I could do a whole podcast. <laughs> um, I mean, Christopher, put it this way. I've not met a woman today that doesn't have a story to tell me where, like, she's oh, my whole career, there's never anything unfair. I was always like just promoted and treated fairly and the facilities were amazing. And my maternity was one. There's every woman has a story where she's basically felt like she's not being treated okay. And it's not every shop, it's not every desk, but they all have one. Um, so 
yeah there's a lot of changes for sure um to to i would say we i reckon we could probably do a really good drive to get the tan in but then also we need to have bigger selling points and then once we're there it's also maintaining staff and keeping them happy and making sure everyone can have a voice so going into next year i'm actually looking for someone to come and to be um running women together because that's just as a small group that started you know like a few women having drinks together and we wanted to do it more often and it was a, it was a really organic growth but now i actually see that through the companies that i have we can actually facilitate change so women together once we hire we are going to work on building a survey and almost like a qualifications checklist that we can go into a company where we can implement like we can suggest procedures uh, that would make their business more inclusive and diverse so because a lot of people do come to me and they say well how can we do it right we want to but how do we do it and actually that's something that needs quite a lot of work to sort of get the understanding and and to understand each individual company, you know, and what the values and the people, and what everyone's saying. Because ultimately, you know, for a company to be inclusive, everyone needs to be feel they could they can be heard and they can speak and use their voice, right? Um, so that's something women together would like to do, and we're going to be working on. Um, to help companies make these changes because ultimately if you can make these changes and you can get such phenomenal talent it's proven that when women are in sort of senior positions companies do you know they do so well their numbers goes up their revenues goes up um and yeah that is uh something that could be a whole podcast of you and me talking about changes to be made um but that's definitely something that um there's a lot of room to change. But, but do you feel like there is uh, a momentum? Because it's basically, it's a lot of top of, top of minds and top of agendas, but it don't necessarily lead to enough action at least. But do you feel like there's also getting action done and do you feel like there is a momentum to really drive on these changes right now? There's a lot of talk, a lot of, you know, before lockdown, who even spoke about ESG, like no one, right? And now everyone wants to be green and everyone wants to be more diverse and inclusive. And this is like a whole new thing that everyone's talking about, right? But at the moment, there's nothing to say like, you know, we had IMO 2020, you had to reduce your sulfur. Uh, now carbon emissions are coming into the shipping industry, right? So 2025. You know, these are things that, you know, you're not just doing voluntary, you, you're having to actually execute and do your carbon emissions, right? So there's no one saying like you have to do this by a certain deadline, right? You don't have to have more women on the floor. It's something we would like. But I've never ever spoken to anyone in the industry and I've they've never, no one said to me, oh, we don't want more women. There's not, everyone's open to it, but actually facilitating the change it's quite a lot of work that needs to be done and you have to be so proactive so i do work with companies who are um giving me permission and asking me for help and we are implementing it so i'll give you an example so kpi ocean connect came to me for their graduate scheme their graduate role and they said they would like to see more female application because they don't get a lot of girls apply right so I said, okay, that's fine. Now we had a conversation that we always get the best candidate for the role. It doesn't matter if their background, when no one's getting a leg up, this is genuinely the best fit. So I said, okay, great. Let's just try and get some girls out there. So I push out the job role to my LinkedIn. And we also put the job onto um, read and total jobs. It's totally open for people to apply. They had one female application. Well, right. And I was just like, okay, guys, we now have to headhunt this. So when we do a search, we do really robust search. We try and find as many people who could be good for the role, given the geographical location or, you know, the competencies the client wants. And I managed to get this list to 30% women. So we had 100, there's like 30 on that, that women. 
then for we did a lot of like video calls we did certain testing we had to go through a few rounds before they got to the actual interview day and that on the interview day they took eight candidates so they and there were four girls and four boys which was fantastic right because they've now gone to 50 50 and then they hired two so they went to 100 percent so without actually actioning and utilizing a recruitment service to make change they would have had they probably would have hired two guys um and they wanted their office to have you know different people like different walks of life different personalities so that one girl was from industry one not which is fantastic so that's another massive improvement um and i think it's small little changes but there's actually people saying do you know what we're going to put our money where our mouth is we're going to invest in this they're going to push forward and they've got the results they wanted. They've got two fantastic hires. They're so happy with them. Their offices have become, you know, slightly more diverse, which they're really happy about. And it's nice to see these little changes, right? But everyone talks about it. And, you know, you have groups like Wister, which I think are fantastic, but the ch- it's, a, it's a fantastic unity, but to put the change forward, it's this, it's this thing I, I go on about all the time. It's okay to talk about it and to meet up, but we need to facilitate change. And that is a lot of action and a lot of work. And it's not a priority to a lot of shipping companies. We don't have a deadline for it. So I'm starting to coin the hashtag 2024 more women on the floor. And I'm going to start pushing that route because that gives me and the market sort of a deadline where we can actually try and push and see some results because they are possible, right? We, I've seen it. I've done it already. Um, I've pulled one woman who left the industry and got her back. So I'm trying to push what I call returnship, like a coin on internship. But like, where, where's people who have left our sector? Let's pull them back in, right? We've made changes. It's becoming more inclusive and diverse. You know, and then that's another route that I've gone down is I've actually pulled two people who left industry and come back in. Um, because that's another thing that I think, again, like, it just requires a bit of um, action and effort, but it's definitely possible. So true. Just a, a final question, because we have so many young people tuning in and now we have, you know, a specialist in recruiting. So what are your best advice for people who maybe are in their 20s who really want to create a career in shipping? Is it, do you say general advice to people? And is it a many opportunities to, you know, get ahead, I guess. But I think one of the stories you touched upon was, of course, that you don't have to, you know, necessarily have studied shipping in order to have a shipping career. You can come from the outside and bring something else to the table. I think as well, it's looking at all the opportunities within the shipping sector. So there's so many, um, and I did a post about the other day about back office staff, right? And I'm telling you now, the careers there and the, the pay grades are fantastic if you're good. So, you know, and, and we spoke earlier about personality fit. And I said, well, it's not for everyone to go on the floor, but there is something for everyone in shipping everyone if you're really good at hr and human resources and you know there are fantastic opportunities especially in the big big um broking houses you know like where it's got like you know thousands of staff members you know that could be a really fantastic opportunity compliance the compliance is increasing in shipping all the time right it's getting particularly in the derivatives and i think we're going to see it coming into sort of a lot of the physical side of things, but compliance is getting, you know, um, sharper by the minute. So if you're interested in more of that side of things, then you have operations where you may feel that you like the excitement of being on the broking floor, but you don't actually want the pressure or you don't feel that you would make a great broker. You could be in operations, right? And, and trade support to brokers. So you get that vibe and that buzz, but you're entering tickets and, um then there's like the trading side of stuff you know if you wanted to do chartering or uh, if you want to be a freight trader i mean there's like so many opportunities and then there's like maritime law which is like you know if you want to be legal but like why don't you look at shipping law like i'm so interested in the p and i clubs and i mean i could go on and on you've got all the trading houses you've got working for the actual ship owners themselves um and then with all these 
companies, you know, if you're working for the physical shipbrokers, that's operations, but slightly different version of operations to would be on the derivative side of things. Um, we are seeing more companies looking to invest more in their marketing. So that's an, another career that you're not even like looking at or considering, you know, people go, oh, I want to do marketing. Oh, I'm going to go work for uh, Google or a fashion brand or whatever, but like, why not shipping? You know, it's, it's something where there's something for absolutely everyone. Um, it's just finding your skill set and where you think you lay best and then going into the industry. We're still seeing the best pay grades, I think, in shipping versus other industries. The graduate entry level roles pay really highly. Um, you know, I, I've been working recently with a company that does a lot of oil testing. They pay their grads like a really serious amount of money and they're based out in Amsterdam. And I'm just like, and they're like, we're really struggling. We pay so much money. Like, we would just need people. And their career opportunities are absolutely fantastic. So they often go and work, end up working for Cargill or the other trading houses. And people just aren't looking at this, um, this route and this road, um, which is a massive shame. But you've got business development as well in the shipping industry. A lot more broken shops now trying to get really good business because um, they don't want their brokers off the desk. They've got business developers. So they're really good with people. But again, you don't want the pressure of maybe being the broker but you just want to go out and, and build the business and sell products another side and then you know shipping is getting uh, you're seeing more um apps coming out and um more digitalized versions of shipping again so if you're in the digital space like you could probably be like a really like ground you could be a groundbreaker in that sector because it's so behind the other industries if you're really tech-based and then you go to shipping, you could really like advance. So honestly, there's something for everyone. It's just finding what you love doing and what your skill set is, and then trying to like nitpick it out where it is in the sector. Because I just feel like you can really excel in this industry if you're good at what you do. That's a perfect ending, Zoe. But giving just give a shout out to all your initiatives. Where can people get in touch if they want to get involved? Because there are so many great things going on. Where should people get in touch with you? I think the best thing for me is actually LinkedIn. Um, because, you know, majority of people have LinkedIn now, but 25%, I would say, aren't on LinkedIn. They're very senior established in their careers. But young people coming through, get yourself a LinkedIn page, sign up to LinkedIn, message me on there if you need to, um, but start adding shipping companies, looking at shipping companies. Like, the world is going that way and everyone is more or less on LinkedIn now. Um, and that's a great contact point for people. Um, and I think a great place to start. So that's what I would say is LinkedIn is the one. Definitely. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. It was a pleasure having you on. No, it's really good. I'm excited. I've been wanting to do this for a while. If you like this episode and the content we produce, you need to check out our newsletter called the Fransen and Wohnheim Letter. You can find more information in the show notes. And also, if you want to see this episode, head over to my YouTube channel. Just type in Christopher Wohnheim. See you next time.